Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Appreciate that. As you can see, we are switching things up a little bit this morning. And I can see by your faces, for some of you, it is freaking you out. But I promise you, it's going to be okay. Now, you know, normally we would have about 25 minutes of praise and worship music, and then we would have the message. Well, we're flipping the script today. We're going to start with the message. So those of you who are still eating donuts out in the foyer, you better get in here. So here's why we're doing that. One, because today is Palm Sunday. It's a very special day for us as Christians. It is the day that we celebrate the beginning of Holy Week, the the Passion Week, the final week of Jesus' life on earth. And that week begins with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem where the people wave palm branches, throw their cloaks on the ground, and welcome him as their king. That's how the week starts. The week ends with an empty tomb. And so we have much to celebrate. And since it's Palm Sunday, we are going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to take communion together this morning as a church family at all of our campuses. So today is a special day, not only for us as Christians, but guess what? Today is a special day for us as Cedar Creekers. Did you know that? Did you know that today is our church's 26th birthday? How about that? Yeah. That's right. The the very first public worship service of Cedar Creek Church was held on Palm Sunday, 1993, when about 100 folks gathered in a rented daycare center on the south side here in Aiken. And we have over a quarter of a century. Think of that. Over a quarter a century of seeing up close and personal God's faithfulness. Transformed lives, transformed communities, transformed families, transformed villages all around the world. So I think today we ought to celebrate Palm Sunday and Cedar Creek Church's birthday with a big old thank you Jesus. How about that? On the count of three, From the bottom of your heart and at the top of your lungs, we're going to shout, thank you, Jesus. You ready? One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, I think I heard the West and the Ridge campuses all the way over those miles. It is great to have all of you here. It's Easter season at Cedar Creek Church. Now, for those of you who were not with us last week, I announced that we had made the decision to declare the entire month of April Easter at Cedar Creek because I figure if Jesus' birth gets a whole month, that his resurrection deserved more than one Sunday morning to get dressed up, meat candy. Amen? Amen? Yeah, so it's Easter. It's Easter season. So go ahead and take out your message notes, and you'll see we're going to continue this Easter season by focusing on hope, because Easter is all about hope. In fact, look at what the Bible says, 1 Peter 1.3. It says, in his great mercy, he, talking about God, he has given us new birth into a what? What does that say? I didn't hear you. What does it say? A living hope, new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
from the dead. Because Jesus is alive, our hope is alive. That's what we're celebrating. Those are great words to hear. But the reality is they are often hard to feel. It's hard to feel hopeful about the future when your past is full of pain. It's hard to be hopeful about your future when your present circumstances are less than you desire. And interestingly, that is exactly what was happening with the people of Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, this was a group of people whose past was filled with pain. Not only pain in their individual lives, but pain for their nation. This was a nation of people who had spent 400 years in slavery. Think about that. That's longer than our country has been a country. 400 years in slavery. And then even when God sent Moses to deliver them, they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. And when they finally entered the promised land, they had to fight to take it. They were at war for years and for decades. And and they only had a brief season as a nation of peace and prosperity. And then by the time you get to the first century, it's like they were back to where they started from. No, they weren't back as slaves in Egypt. But they were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Their freedoms were stifled. Their lives were controlled. They were an oppressed people. They were a people desperate for deliverance. They were a people desperate for hope. That's what brought them into the streets that first Palm Sunday. They were desperate for a rescuer. And that's what they saw Jesus as. Their conquering king, their modern day Moses to free them from oppression. You understand that's why they sang Hosanna. They didn't sing it, they shouted Hosanna. You know why? Because Hosanna means deliver us now. Rescue us now. It is a cry of desperate people, desperate for freedom. See, this Palm Sunday, this was not some pretty little peaceful pageant. This was all-out rebellion. This was a protest. They were taking it to the streets. They were sick and tired of being sick and tired. And they were abandoning it all for the chance of freedom that Jesus could bring. In fact, to do what they did that Palm Sunday was a capital crime. To proclaim anybody as king other than Caesar was a crime punishable by death. But they didn't care. That's how desperate they were for hope. And I believe as we dig a little deeper into these people of Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday, I think they have some valuable things to teach us about finding hope in disappointment. How do you find hope in the disappointments of life? Two things I want us to look at. Number one, you find hope in disappointment by keeping your eyes on the source. Keep your eyes on the source. To find hope, you not only need to know the source of that hope, but you need to stay focused on that source in spite of your disappointments. You know, to me, the most fascinating thing about that 
Passion Week, that Holy Week, was the behavior of the crowd. How quickly they turned on Jesus, right? Because the same people who were in the streets proclaiming Jesus as their king on Sunday were standing outside of Pilate's palace on Friday screaming, crucify him. These weren't two different groups of people. There was not the pro-Jesus and the anti-Jesus people. It was the same group. How did they turn on him so fast? One word, disappointment. Because they had stuck their necks out for him and they believed he was going to overthrow the Roman government. And they had the big protest march all the way down to the temple. And they're thinking, it's on like Donkey Kong. Jesus is going to get after it and we're going to be with him. And we're going to throw off these oppressors. And according to Mark's gospel, you know what Jesus did when the parade ended at the temple? He got off the donkey, looked at his watch, decided it was a little too late. And he just left Jerusalem, went back to Bethany to camp out with his buddies. Can you imagine their disappointment? And I'm sure some of them thought, well, you know, it is late in the day. He's going to start the revolution on Monday. But Monday comes and goes and nothing. Then Tuesday comes and nothing. Nobody hears from Jesus. Then Wednesday and nothing's happening. And then finally on Thursday night, they hear a rumor that Jesus has been arrested And he's going to be taken before Pilate on trial. And they probably were thinking, oh, this is it. He's going to be right there on the steps of Pilate's house. He might just stab him right there and start the revolution. That's why they showed up Friday morning. Is it ever you thought it was strange to read that thousands of people showed up early on that Friday morning when the religious leaders did everything they could to keep it quiet and do it in secret and do it in the dark? They showed up because they had one more Hope in Jesus. This is it. And what does Jesus do? Nothing. Nothing. He just stands there like a sheep for slaughter. And the disappointment is more than they can bear. And it takes almost no effort for the religious leaders to turn these Jesus fans into Jesus haters. And they scream crucify. Why? Because they took their eye off the source of the hope. They stop focusing on the one who gives true freedom and focus on the freedom that they thought they needed. They forgot their history. They forgot the prophecies in the Old Testament which clearly says the Messiah will come not as a conquering king but as a lamb for slaughter. That the victory that God would give this time is not freedom from a political oppressor but freedom and victory over a much greater enemy, sin and death. But they took their eyes off Jesus and they missed the hope that was right in front of him. You know, that didn't really surprise Jesus. Jesus knew this before he even rode into Jerusalem. Look at Luke 19. It says that as as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, listen to what he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. They couldn't see the hope that was right in front of them. It was right in front of them in many ways. It's interesting that when they were hailing Jesus as a conquering king on Palm Sunday, they forgot to notice that he was riding on a donkey. Because kings don't ride donkeys when they're coming to do battle. 
Kings ride on mighty horses, on stallions. Jesus came on a donkey because when kings ride donkeys, they come bringing peace. They come in humility, not in pride. And Jesus rode in on a donkey. The second thing they didn't see was what happened to Jesus after Friday. Thousands of people, tens of thousands of people saw Jesus ride in as a king. And tens of thousands of them watched him walk that Via Dolorosa, that way of suffering. And they saw him die on Friday night. And they turned their eyes away and said, he's an imposter. There's no hope there. And they went back to their homes. Only a handful of people kept their eyes on Jesus through the dark, painful weekend to be there to see the hope of Easter Sunday morning. My point is this. If you take your eyes off Jesus, you will lose hope. That's what happened to Peter, right? You remember when he got out of the boat, walked on water? When did he start sinking? When the storm got big? No, when he took his eyes off Jesus. So can I just ask you a question? Where is that happening in your life right now? What's drawing your focus off of Jesus and onto some other source of hope? Maybe it is your circumstances, like the people of Jerusalem. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you're focused on that. Or maybe it's not bad things, it's good things. Your life is going well. You're in a sweet spot. Things are moving, and you're busy, 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 and you're filling up your schedule, and you're doing all the stuff with your kids and for your kids and building your business, and you are living this great life, and your focus is on building a life for yourself, and you're missing the true hope right in front of you. Maybe for some of us, what makes it hard to focus on Jesus is our pain. And let me tell you, when you're in pain, it's hard to focus on anything but that pain. And I get it. And I'm not standing up here today telling you in your pain, suck it up, buttercup, and get your eyes on Jesus. Just shake it off. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is the only hope we have is in Jesus. So keep your eyes on him. In just a moment, when we we take the Lord's Supper together, please understand, this is an opportunity to refocus on Jesus and to make a commitment today to keep your eyes on him no matter what happens. If you want to find hope and disappointment, you got to keep your eye on the source. Number two, you got to remember God's faithfulness in the past. You got to remember God's faithfulness in the past because sometimes, sometimes the only way you can have hope for the future is to remember God's faithfulness in the past. That's exactly what the people were doing in Jerusalem that week. Did you know that? They didn't live there. Less than half of them lived there. Those thousands of people were in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, a national holiday that memorialized the freedom from Egypt that God had provided through Moses. And as a part of that memory weekend, or that week, they would share a meal together, the Passover meal or Seder meal. And that Seder meal Every item on the menu of that meal was an object lesson to remind them of God's faithfulness in their past. The bitter herbs that they ate 
were to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. The unleavened bread was to remind them it was the bread of haste that they left so fast they didn't even have time to let the yeast rise the dough. And then that lamb, that roasted lamb, as they ate it, they would have remembered the slaughtered lamb whose blood was wiped on their doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over that home and death would not touch them. That's what they were doing. They were remembering God's faithfulness in the past. And so as Jesus celebrated this meal of remembrance with his disciples, with his closest friends, he established a new thing to remember, a new covenant, a new reason for hope, hope beyond the freedom from slavery and oppression of our circumstances to hope of freedom from our greatest enemy, sin and death. And that's why Jesus, through this symbol of, of the bread and the cup, reminds us that we are truly free. That's why Paul writes, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six: Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's why Jesus says, when you eat this bread, do it in what? What does he say? in remembrance of me. It's a reminder of his faithfulness in the past. That's my hope. That's my prayer this morning across all of our campuses. As we come to the Lord's table, that you will not just see this as another religious ritual or another Easter tradition, but you will see this as a wonderful opportunity to remember God's faithfulness in the past and your hope for the future. But I also plead with you to take this as an opportunity to celebrate your freedom in Christ. Your true freedom. Freedom much greater than temporary circumstances. An eternal freedom. Look at Galatians 4, 7. This is the good news. It says, so you are no longer a slave, but you're God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You have a future. You are a child of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. In Jesus, you are no longer a slave to fear. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave to your past failures. You are no longer a slave to the disappointments of your life. Through the broken body and the shed blood, you are a child and you are are free. And today, that is what we celebrate. That is what we remember. So would you just take a moment now, all of our campus, just close your eyes, bow your head for just a moment. As we begin this time of worship, as we begin this time of remembering God's faithfulness on a cross, on a trash heap outside the city of Jerusalem, where the God of the universe would completely humble himself and in love for you would give it all. And in giving it all, he would give you a hope that can never be taken away. A hope that is not destroyed by your disappointments. A hope and a future is what we celebrate. It's what we remember today. We celebrate because we are free.
We are free in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.